Darnell Williams at the tailback. They'll hand it off to Williams up the middle. 25. Cuts it inside. 30. 35. 40. There goes Cadillac. To the 50. To the 40. To the 30. To the 20. To the 15. 10. Go crazy, Cadillac. Go crazy. Touchdown. Now they can play a little safer. But they're not going to. Nix is back. Throws it downfield. Caught. Touchdown, Williams. A 20-yard attempt. Josh Harris, the snapper. He'll call to the place. He'll hold it. Byron waits for the snap to the place. There it is. The kick is up. The kick is good. Auburn wins. 22-19. What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the Auburn Today podcast. As always, my name is Noble. I'm joined here with my co-host, Wheeler. Today we have a podcast to just stew in the sadness of what was last Saturday. Uh, I know that me and Wheeler have a little little differing views of how we kind of walked out of last Saturday's game and kind of where our minds respectively went. So we can just jump right into that. Um, so Wheeler, obviously Auburn fell to the Ole Miss Rebels by a score of 48 to 34 in Oxford. Ole Miss advances to 7-0 and on the season and Auburn falls to 3-4. and on pace for back-to-back losing seasons. So just kind of give us your thoughts about how you were kind of going into the game, how your thoughts kind of changed when we were down 21 nothing by the raging comeback. Just kind of give, give us your thoughts about how your, how your mindset and how your emotions fluctuated throughout the game and where you're at now. Going into the game, thought we were going to get our tail kicked. 21 nothing. I thought, this is the end. The man is going to get tarmac. He is not going to leave Oxford, Mississippi with the title of head coach of the Auburn Tigers. And then the magical comeback happens. And I now say he'll make it to the end of the year and we're going bowling, baby. Here we come. Back to Birmingham. The Auburn family can go to mug shots. We can eat a mediocre burger and go to a nice stadium play a mediocre team, have half the team opt out, and lose the game again to another group of five school. The Auburn dream, truly. But that's where we are right now. I thought that this was the first game that the coaching staff had a good plan put together. Um, And, you know, they kind of just got shafted. Um, Somewhat they got shafted. Somewhat they shafted themselves. Um. So let's go let's go through the let's go through how this where I thought that the coaching staff did well. Thought they had really good uh play calling. I thought that this was our best play calling game. Um Noble's still <laughs> still laughing. He can't stop laughing. I don't understand what's wrong with you. Anyway, I had to mute I had to mute myself for a little bit, but we're good now. We're back back under composure. Okay, no. Really, really good plan, I thought. I thought they stuck to the run game even when they were down early. They recognized that the the only way that they were going to win that game or have a chance to be competitive in it was by running the football, something that we've said the entire season. Um, do not know why you put T.J. Finley out there. I, I don't like putting T.J. out there. I understand that Robbie was a little shook up, but, man, you had to see it coming. You had to see the fumble coming. And the fact that the man made a TikTok basically saying that there was a double standard and that people just hated on him for doing what every other person does and he gets three plays and he fumbles, 
No, buddy. That's just terrible. Um, TJ is just a miserable quarterback, and uh, I just don't understand why you would ever put him out behind this offensive line. Um, it just ain't going to work for the guy. Um, I thought that they played some freshman receivers. Uh, Amari Kelly got in the game. Jay Fair, you know, had a couple of big catches on our nine passing attempts. Um, but uh, honestly, why would you throw the ball more? Like, you can't throw the ball very effectively. You can't you can't pass protect very effectively. Your quarterback runs out of the pocket as soon as there is a hint of pressure. Um, yeah, no, recapping it, maybe we didn't do as well as I thought. We just ran the ball really well this time. But the thing is, they are a top-10 team, and we ran the ball like that. There is potential that we could run the ball in some more games this year. So that was, you know, the upside. The defense, um, yikes, the defense. Uh, maybe we'll do well against Mississippi State where they physically do not run the football, but the the finding the football is a great challenge for this defense. They, uh, they get lost very, very easily, and, I mean, Lane Kiffin was just eating their lunch. He knew where they were going to be before they knew where they were going to be. And he played into every single overcommitment, losing the football. And I mean, he just ransacked the defense. It was it was honestly impressive how shook he had the defense because I mean, there were plays where there were not there wasn't a guy within twenty yards of a guy that they were throwing the ball to. So the defense has declined. The O line has improved. Quarterback play is mediocre to poor, and. uh if they cannot turn the ball over, they had a chance to win this week, and I think they have a chance to win all the rest of their games. Except for maybe Bama. Yeah, and so, you know, the, the next five games will be Arkansas at home. They announced that today will be an 11 a.m. kick, which was you can kind of see coming. You've got Mississippi State on the road the next week. You've got Texas A&M at home the week after that. Western Kentucky at home the week after that, and then in the season at Alabama. So, Let's be generous. Western Kentucky is going to be a win. All right, we'll, we'll be generous and we'll say, yeah, we're going to take care of business against the bad opponent. You know, we'll, we'll count that as a win. Auburn will have four wins at that point. You got to find, realistically, you have to find two wins out of Arkansas, Mississippi State, and Texas A&M. If, Auburn, if this Auburn team is the first team to beat Alabama on the road since 2010, uh, if I'm being realistic, I just don't see it. And so – you got to find a win over Arkansas, Mississippi State, or A&M. Arkansas, they're not very good. I mean, and I, I've said it on the podcast multiple times. I think this is the worst year the SEC has had in a very long time. I really don't think Ole Miss is that good. I think that a somewhat average Auburn team really wins that game. But I just think that this is just not an average Auburn team. I think that Arkansas is winnable and A&M are definitely winnable. I think Mississippi State on the road is going to be the tougher one. But I – I'm not saying that we will win those, but I will say Arkansas and Texas A&M are not very good. If Auburn was playing – if really any team that Auburn had in the past, really since 2012, I mean any team after 2012 was playing Arkansas or A&M, I would not be worried about them at all, judging by the two teams on the field. They are not very good. Now, with that being said, this Auburn team is the worst we've seen since 2012. And – 
I don't really think that they instilled much confidence. I mean, Arkansas, they're hard-nosed. They like to run the ball. And Auburn's coming off a game where we let Ole Miss just tear us to pieces. I mean, Quinshawn Judkins had 139 yards. Zach Evans had 136. And Jackson Dart had 115. I mean, the defensive performance was just absolutely abysmal. And it really wasn't even – it wasn't even a talent thing. That's – I mean, and don't get me wrong. Judkins and Evans are – fantastic players they are elite elite players great running backs Jackson Dart's an average quarterback I mean he is he is average at best their receivers are fine but the receivers weren't beating us I mean their their leading receiver didn't have a catch so just the the fact that you could watch it and it just felt so like our guys were just so out coached it wasn't even that they were outmatched it wasn't like you were playing a team where you're just getting beat. It wasn't like the defensive line was just getting pushed five yards behind the play. We were missing tackles left and right. Their play, I mean, they had, I mean, those first two touchdowns, we had, had no clue was coming. That onside kick, our guys had no clue they were coming. Brian Harson even said in the postgame press conference, yeah, we didn't see it coming. And so that that was one of the biggest frustrations that I felt was just being so outmatched from a coaching perspective. I think it's you can make the argument that Auburn has more talent than Ole Miss. I mean, Ole Miss's defense was terrible. I mean, J.J. Pegues had his best game of his career. I mean, that dude was a rotational meh at best player at Auburn last season. Ladarius Tennyson, yeah, he's a decent player, but he's not better than Zion Puckett, and that's why he transferred because he knew he wasn't going to start over him. So the fact that Ole Miss's kind of stars and the names that you heard a lot last week were – former Auburn guys, I mean, their defense isn't that good. And that's why we were able to run the ball on them is because their defensive line is one of the worst in the SEC, if not the worst. And our offensive line full of backups and third stringers were able to get a push because, you know, the offensive line has a ton of injuries. But those guys, I mean, they, they did a decent job, but I don't know if I'm necessarily encouraged by the offensive performance because of how bad Ole Miss's defense is. Now, obviously – Tank Bigsby, just reading off the, the stat sheet a little bit, Tank Bigsby, 20 carries for 179 yards and two touchdowns. Phenomenal performance. He just proved that he's an elite football player. Jarquez Hunter, 10 carries, 80 yards. Great playing. Robbie Ashford had it was 8 for 17, 140 yards with two interceptions. Not good. You can't have that. TJ Finley, one carry for negative seven yards and a fumble. Figured I'd just throw that one in there. But just you, you look through it and – yeah, the running backs had an elite day, but I just didn't feel like – I didn't really feel like we were getting – I didn't feel like it was with, – with Ole Miss, I felt like their, their plays were just confusing our defense and our defense didn't know what to do. And their playmakers were utilizing that and making big plays. Whereas I felt like our guys were more so making big plays despite the play calls not exactly being – incredible and I'm not saying that Keesaw called a bad game at all what I am saying though is I didn't think that Ole Miss was necessarily lost on any of our plays I think they could see what was happening it was just Tank and Jarquez were better than they were and so they were making better plays than the Ole Miss defenders whereas a lot of the time Ole Miss was getting a play because we were either not making a tackle or our guys just had no clue what was going on so that that was kind of the biggest hurt for me and it wasn't like it was against I mean, it's against Ole Miss. Like Ole Miss is, it, it is a mid middle of the middle of the pack, middle of the tier SEC program. They've 
they beat us 10 times in the history of the school before that game. And five of those were before the year 1970. Like Ole Miss is just not the same program as Auburn. And I think that was one of the biggest things is that you see that Ole Miss just completely outcoached us. And if we had a better staff, we don't lose that game. Despite them being ranked in the top 10, they're not a, I, I don't think that they're that good at football. And the reason we lost is because we're not that good at football either. But I just felt like this game kind of sealed the deal for me on Brian Harson's fate, in my personal opinion, because you just – you can't do that. Like, you can't lose to a team like Ole Miss. When, I mean, it's not like the crowd was getting into it. The crowd was meh at best. It wasn't loud in there. We have arguably more talent than they did, and we lost by 14 points. And really – there were very few moments when you really felt confident that we would win because you knew that our defense wasn't getting a single stop. So I, I would say that that was just kind of what put me lower on the team. And I'm still not going to just write off that we won't make a bowl because I don't think Arkansas or Texas A&M are very good and we play them at home and you're never going to count off Auburn at home. But I just don't have confidence that our staff is going to outcoach anybody, any of the remaining opponents. I mean, you look, Sam Pittman, he's a good coach. Mike Leach, say what you want. The dude's weird. He's a decent football coach. And he made Derek Mason have fits last season. Derek Mason couldn't stop him. And I think Derek Mason is a significantly better defensive mind than Jeff Schmetting is. A&M, I've said about Jimbo Fisher and everything, I don't think he's a great coach, but he's a better coach than we have. Western Kentucky, no clue who their coach is. I don't know. Alabama, obviously, we're not out coaching anyone on that staff. So I think that my biggest concern for these coming weeks is not anything related to talent. It's not anything related to scheme. I just don't think our coaches are better than the other team's coaches. And that's why I'm worried about the next five games. I think Keesaw called a good game for the plays that he has, but the plays that he has in our playbook compared to the plays that Lane has in his playbook are on a different planet. Lane has plays that are designed to absolutely break the back of the other team's defense. And our plays look like they were pulled out of the 2004, you know, Georgia-Alabama game, where you line up, you tell just about point to where you're going to go and say, why don't you stop it? And we finally ran into a team that couldn't. Um, no, I, I don't disagree with anything you said. Um the onside kick, I, I mean, I really don't understand why you got a guy 15 yards deep off the line. When have we had a big kick return at all this year? I mean, doesn't really make sense to put somebody way back on the line. To be fair to the coaches, though, none of the players made a tremendous effort to get to the football. Um, I think they were just so stunned that the ball was coming at them. Um but, no, I mean, you, you can't have that many turnovers and then give up an onside kick and expect to win the game. I really thought that we had a chance. I mean, when the onside kick happened, we were down by a touchdown and about, you know, had a chance to go score. I, I thought that that was the best chance to win the game. And then you see the onside kick happen, and you're like, yeah, we're not winning this game. Um, I agree. I agree with that. So, no, I, I thought that there was a chance to win the game. Um, and I think that there will be chances to win. the. I think that there have been a lot of teams. Other than the Georgia and Penn State games, there were chances to win every single game that we've lost this year. And they've just managed to have 
quite possibly the worst thing that could possibly happen happened to them, whether it was the Coy Moore throwing a pick, uh, Robbie Ashford throwing a pick against LSU, going for it on fourth and ten. But that the it's like we've said on all the podcasts, most of Harson's losses, there's been a moment in the game where it was really important that something happened and he had the worst result possible happen. I will slightly blame the onside kick on the coaches, slightly blame it on the players. I mean, they just didn't see it coming. But I don't know. I'm really torn because, I mean, how many – you're also playing Lane Kiffin, so you should probably know. Like, onside kick, it's on the table here. Um, But they had not run that this year. So, in the defense, I don't know. I think that's a tough one. I think that penalties, turnovers – it's just some ugly football, but they managed to at least keep it close this week. And I will say about the Western Kentucky game, Auburn will not lose to Western Kentucky if the game is to go to a bowl. Now, yeah. if the game is not to go to a bowl game, that's when the game is in trouble. That's an but excellent If, if you're going into the Western Kentucky game with five wins, and, I mean, you basically know Alabama game, probably not the one that you want to have to win to go to a bowl game. Um then I, I think you go out and you win that game and go to the Independence or Birmingham Bowl. Um, and I think this team really wants to go to a bowl game. I think they're super motivated to go to a bowl game. I think coming off of a bye week, um, even if you have coaches that are inferior to the other team's coaches, with two weeks, I think you can improve a lot. I think that Robbie Ashford has improved every single week that we've seen him play. And giving him a bye week, and then that week of preparation for Arkansas is going to be really good for him. And I think that he could actually come out and have a great game. Robbie also seems like one of those players that would have a heck of a game against Alabama. If he and Tank just come out and play their angry, ticked off at each other game against Alabama, they could actually have a heck of a game. And honestly, the way Bama is, if you uh, if Bryce Young goes down again, or if um, oh, what is the run of Jameer Gibbs goes down, I mean, Auburn can compete with Alabama without Bryce or Jameer, in my opinion. I mean, I don't think that their receiver core is significantly better than anybody else's in the SEC. I don't think that Jalen Milrow is significantly better than any other quarterback in the SEC. And I don't think that any of their running backs other than Jameer Gibbs are anything you don't see every single week in the SEC. So, no, I think it's a rare season where if Bama loses one of their offensive juggernauts, they become a very pedestrian team very quickly. And so sitting here today, if they're at full strength, yeah, they're probably not going to lose. But if you're missing one of those guys, I mean, it becomes a really interesting game really quickly. And I'm not convinced that Auburn's – Auburn and Texas, kind of similar teams. Texas just hadn't had the back-breaking loss of every single game, but they hang around with really crappy teams and are playing a lot crappier teams than Auburn is. I don't know. I, I think that Auburn is getting better, and given some fortune, they could potentially beat Alabama. And I th- also think, I mean, if you beat, if you're winning out going into the Alabama game, that becomes more interesting as well. And I think that's a possibility. I, I think with the, with the Texas comparison, I think the biggest difference is they have an elite quarterback and we have a bad quarterback. I think that that is the biggest difference is that Quinn Ewers is a great quarterback, and shoot, even their backup. I'm blanking on his name right now, but I think uh, what's Hudson Card? I think that's it. 
he's better. Like he's significantly better than Robbie Ashford. He's significantly better than TJ Finley. I think that's one of the biggest things that, that they have a legitimate quarterback and we do not. And, you know, that actually, you know, that makes a massive difference. And also just, I don't, I don't know, man. I just don't. They scored just 24 points say. against Iowa State. I don't scored 49 against Oklahoma, though. Yeah, well, Oklahoma sucks this year. They're better than we are, though. All I'm saying is if Robbie continues to improve, and then he has one of those ball-out games that Auburn players sometimes have against Alabama, it could be interesting. And I really think that having two weeks to improve and being the guy, because I don't think that there's anything you saw this week that makes you think that TJ is going to be the guy again. I mean, the dude's a turnover machine every time he goes out on the field. His attitude stinks. Robbie's attitude also stinks. But at least he eventually has the fire to go and play the game. TJ, I don't know where his fire is to go actually play the game well. Robbie has his highs and his lows. Robbie or er, and TJ's just low. So my my thing, I've got I've got two things real quick. So I I agree with what you're saying. I, I don't I don't think you're saying things that are necessarily wrong. But I also think on the flip side, the only games this season that we have won, we beat Mercer week one. All right, they're terrible. Beat San Jose, San Jose State week two. The thing that bothers me with that game is that Harson staff really wanted to win that game. Like, they wanted to blow them out, and they couldn't. They physically could not blow that team out. And that that bothers me. And then you play Missouri, and, you know, we mentioned, like, a lot of the losses are like, oh, at the biggest moment of the game, just something just horrible happened, and all the cards went up against Auburn. The only game we've won is against a Power 5 opponent this season is when they handed it to us. And I mean handed it to. I mean, if the Missouri guy doesn't just throw the ball out of the back of the end zone untouched, we lose that game. I mean, that is something that that, that same scenario could happen to 200 different teams 200 different times. The only time that it happens how it happened is when it's Missouri against Auburn. Like – that was so unexpected, so random, so strange. And that's the only time we've beaten a Power 5 team. And that's just something that kind of concerns me because I'm like, I, I don't disagree with what you're saying. We've been in the game. Like, there are moments you can look at with LSU, moments you can look at at Ole Miss where you're like, yeah, if that goes different, the whole game's different. The PI on fourth down, the onside kick, a lot of things you're like, yeah, that could have been really different, but it wasn't. And the only time it went our way was when everything went our way and that's something that I'm just a little more like a little bit more hesitant looking toward the next five games and that's where I think our viewpoints differ the most but moving on to what, with what you were saying you know you kind of hinted at it a little bit earlier with Tank Bigsby and Robbie Ashford Robbie Ashford kind of on the sideline you know the the ESPN crew seemed to show it a lot I was at the games I didn't I kind of heard about that later and I watched it after how how what what were your thoughts about that situation? I'll I'll let you just kind of give how you thought it, how you perceived it, um, timing and everything, and then I'll 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 give my take afterwards. I was less concerned about Tank and Robbie yelling at each other <clears throat> than I was about Robbie going and sitting on the bench by himself while the offense was on the field until Ronnie Brown goes over and tells him he needs to go watch the offense. I understand that you're mad. And you need to take a second, but you can take a second and still just stand there and watch 
the offense. Like you can tell nobody talked to me. I'm standing here. I'm ticked off. I'm stewing him, whatever, without going and sitting on the bench by yourself and causing a scene. The two guys yelling at each other, I mean, that they're competitive people. You see that almost every single week in the NFL. And TV always tries to make it a huge deal. They went on to play with each other for the rest of the game. And here's another newsflash. It doesn't matter if two guys like each other that are on the same football team. Like, yeah, it probably helps if your team doesn't hate each other and doesn't want to slit each other's throats. But if they don't like each other and they still just follow their keys and play the game the way they're supposed to, really doesn't matter. Really not that big a deal. They both went on to have their better games after that happened. I mean, so if they hate each other and they're competing against each other the entire time instead of the other team, but the other team is the one that they take it out on, then that's fine. My thing, as long as you're not actively, like, throwing hands and trying to hurt the other guy, if you're just yelling at him, I mean, that's just two competitive guys going at it. And if you think that they don't yell at each other in the locker room all the time and get into shouting matches where the TV cameras aren't, then that's just ignorant. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. With the shout, the shouting match didn't really – that didn't really affect me at all. I think that, that – I mean, that happens all the time. You hear stories all the time of, you know, NFL Hall of Famers, and you just hear fights in practice, fights in the locker room. Sometimes you got to get the anger out. Sometimes you just got to deal with it however you want to deal with it. And if it works, it works. And, I, you know, they obviously – they came back. They played next to each other. And they might not even hate each other. I mean, you know – Everyone can say if you're, you know, if you have a sibling or if you have a best friend, like you've probably gotten into a shouting match with them before, but it doesn't mean that you hate them. It means that you're, you're angry, you're competitive, like you're getting it out however you need to. They came back, played well. Tank, I mean, obviously Tank's an elite player, but I do agree with your, your point about, about Robbie just kind of sulking when, when the offense was out. But I do think that also, I think that that kind of showed how how he feels towards the coaching staff, and I could be completely wrong. This is I have not heard anything about this. That this is my speculation. I don't know if Robbie is as much of a a Harson guy as some of the other players on the team, and I think that might be an explanation, maybe as to why he kind of acted like that because he just really resented the decision, and you can resent the decision. Because you look at TJ, TJ Finley and Bo Nix, that whole situation last year. Obviously, when both of those guys got benched, they resented the decision. But both of them seemed to be kind of, you know, standing there still cheering on the team. That's being a good teammate. But it, it seemed like it, it just kind of struck me that Robbie was – he was mad because he knew that he just thought it was a stupid decision by Harson, and he wants Harson to be gone. That's just that's just how I, how I perceived it. I could be totally wrong. You know, people might disagree with me, whatever. I, I just – that was just how I saw it. And I wonder how much – I think the defense, a lot of the defensive guys seem to be more pro Harson than the offensive guys. And it reminds me a lot of the whole kind of Gus Malzahn situation in 2020. You know, it struck you that when he got fired, a lot of the defensive guys were much more vocal about being disappointed about the firing than the offense. And I wonder if that's almost a similar situation coming up is that a lot of the offensive guys really aren't big Harson fans, whereas some of the defensive guys that are still getting there, still getting, you know, good numbers, still looking on NFL draft boards, they really don't seem to have as much of a problem with them. But what are, what are your thoughts? Do you think that the 
obviously the team likes Harson. A lot of the guys like Harson. Do you think that if the whole team was making the decision, do you think that Brian Harson would be the coach next season? The team? Yes. If it was no one else but just the team, whole team had a vote, do you think that Brian Harson would be the coach at Auburn University in 2023? Yes. Because I don't think the effort would be this high if the team all hated him. I think you saw what a team that hates their head coach looked like in 2012 when they all hated Gene Chizik. And this team does not look like that. Now, do I think that a lot of them know that he will not be and that he probably should not be? Yeah, I agree with that. And my statement saying that I think we can win out is not an endorsement that I think we should keep Parson. No, I think we should keep him through the end of the year. And I hope he wins out. I hope he wins out and goes to a bowl game. But I think you've seen, culturally, he's just not getting it done. Not getting it done on the recruiting trail. Seems to be out coach over his head, you know, just about every single SEC game. And if he wins, then it's the lucky squirrel finding the nut every once in a while. So I think it's hard to – I don't think that there are a lot of teams that want their coach fired. Like I think when you're in that building and you're listening to them talk every single week and you hear the plan, I think that that allows you to buy in a whole lot more than just taking a snapshot on Saturdays of three hours of failure. Yeah, I think that's a good – I think that's a decent point. So you just said, you know, you think we should let him go to the end. Do you think – this is kind of a repeat question from last week. Do you think there is anything Brian Harson can do to save his job, realistic or not. Because personally, I, I think I'm almost to the point, looking at kind of how everything seems just around the program, I, I don't think unless he somehow, unless he wins the rest of the games and ends up with a top 10 recruiting class, which is looking pretty impossible at this point, I, I, I just don't think there's anything he can do on the field to save his job. I think that the powers that be are so ready to fire him and you see so much speculation about the other coaches while Harson is still, you know, technically employed by the university. I personally think it's over. I think the writing has been on the wall. I think that it is over for him, no matter what. Do you do you share that sentiment, or do you still think that there's something Harson could do to turn the ship around and and be the guy next season? I do. I think if he wins out, other than Alabama and agrees to a half buyout if he's fired after next season or at any point next season, that they would keep him. I do. I I think that that's where we are right now. I don't know if the university can afford the guy that they want to get and pay Horson's full buyout, which is why they're trying to get the reduced buyout. And I could see them pulling the exact same thing that Nebraska pulled. And doing the oh, we'll give you one more year, but here's a reduced buyout. And I think that he can get a top 20 recruiting class with that. And that's the only path that I see to keeping him here. But let me tell you who's doing everything that they possibly can to get him out. He either has really hacked off the media recently with some comments and him being snarky in the press conference, or the media know from the boosters and from the administration that it is critical to smear this man publicly because the beat writers at Auburn 
are going for this man's throat. I mean, I've never seen beat writers just so overtly attack a head coach like they've attacked this man. And for the most part, it's been deserved. Like, I'm not saying that they shouldn't. I think that that's part of their job, and I think a lot of times beat writers are afraid to do it. And I think that it's good that they're just calling the man on his bluff. But at the same time, I'm like, are y'all getting paid? Like, are y'all getting sources that are telling y'all, hey, y'all need to help us get rid of this guy? Or has he really just made them that frustrated? That That's, I mean, a serious question because it seems like no matter what happens, the smear on Harson is on. But it's also easy because, I mean, he's kind of sucked. Yeah, I mean, that's just that's just my thing, man. If you just really look, if you just really look at everything that's happened, I mean, there's still the crowd that says, "Oh, he hasn't had enough time." This, 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 that. When Josh Heupel's at Tennessee, being undefeated, beating Alabama, and their program is well on its way to being, you know, great again. Heupel was hired at the same time Harson was, and Auburn has just gotten so much lower and we have just dug such a hole and i i get you have to have time but you have to have time to build a program but we didn't have to build it that i think that's the biggest thing that annoys me about the whole brian harston situation is our program has gotten significantly worse than where it was in 2020 and so this is something i've said if I think that if Auburn had known that the playoff was going to be expanded to 12 teams, I don't think Gus Malzahn would have been fired. And personally, I don't. Th- I I agreed with the move at the time because it it was it felt like it was apparent that Gus Malzahn would not be able to have a top four finish. But it seems like Gus Malzahn could have had a top 12 finish at Auburn. So I I think that if they had known that the playoff expansion was imminent, then two years ago would have looked a lot different. And obviously we don't feel like Brian Harson can really get us there seeing as how he hasn't been able to crack the top 25 in year two. But I just think my biggest problem is Auburn's program was in a decent spot. Auburn's program had playoff – like we, we had playoff expectations in 2019. We went toe-to-toe with one of the greatest teams in college football, like beat Alabama. We had a, gr- a good season in 2019. 2020, obviously COVID, not a great season – 2021, you have a losing season. 2022, it looks like you're probably going to have another losing season, even if, and that's the that's the even if things go well. Like even the you know the you know sunshine pumping situation that you've been talking about for the past hour. Like even if we make a bowl and lose in the Birmingham Bowl to some good you know group of five team that we'll probably lose to, like even then you have a losing season, and that's if you turned it around the second. I mean that that's a complete 180 in the second half of the season and you still have a losing season, and then you have back-to-back losing seasons in the only two seasons you've been when you inherited a program that was good and had good like good talent. You look at our recruiting classes over the past four years, there's no excuse why we shouldn't be ranked. No excuse why we should not be at least ranked. And you can, you know, you can say, like, yeah, even if we're not a good football team, by our standards, the, the results that we have seen when you have the talent on this team, it's embarrassing. And it's it doesn't make sense. The only thing, like the only reason you can point to is coaches. Like if we have the staff of Gus Malzahn, Kevin Steele, and you know even Chad Morris, like those, if we had those guys on this team, like th- this team is decent. Like I'm not saying that we're like gonna go to the playoffs, 
But that staff on this with this talent and with this roster, we're a decent football team. You think those guys lose to this Ole Miss team? No, they don't. Like, and I think that's my biggest problem is you just look at these games and we're just losing games that we should not be losing. And I'm not even saying, like, if you look at the talent, you look at the program, you look at what Brian Harson has done since he got to Auburn, and he has just pulled the program down completely. And I think that's the thing where I'm just like, I don't understand why we can argue for another year of this guy under any circumstances because he has done nothing. Like, if, if you really look at it, he has done nothing for Auburn University. He beat Ole Miss at home. That is that is the crown jewel of what you look to and beating LSU on the road, a bad LSU team on the road. I, I mean, he hasn't done anything that has really done – that has really meant anything. And he's done a lot that has meant bad things for the program. And that's just where I'm at. I just don't think there's any situation where I can believe that Brian Harson is the right guy for Auburn University. Now, I don't want to be confused that I think Harson is the right guy. But you asked if I saw a way that he could stay, and I gave you that. Also, to be fair, and this is playing just – this would be absolutely Homer Harson advocate. Imagine this situation. Okay, these are some very, very small details that completely change the entire situation. One, Bo Nix doesn't break his leg. Okay, that instantly, I'll give you the loss to Mississippi State because he broke his leg with like two minutes left. We had already lost the game. Okay, you're going to go beat South Carolina. No doubt in my mind. You absolutely beat South Carolina with Bo Nix. And no doubt in my mind, you beat Alabama last year. You go to a better bowl game, and people don't really care. If you if you lose to a Big Ten school in the bowl game and it's a Florida bowl and it was competitive, like nobody's coming with their pitchforks for you, okay? You have a good recruiting class. That actually happened. I, I thought that the recruiting class last year, considering the circumstances, it wasn't a bad one. I mean, it really wasn't. There weren't that many O-linemen in last year's class. It's not like Georgia and Alabama both just cleaned up with five-star O-linemen. It was a weak, weak year for O-linemen. Okay. They go after three different transfer portal O-linemen really seriously, and they lose out to Alabama, Georgia, and LSU on the three. Florida on one. Yeah. Sorry, Florida. Okay. They're starting at other SEC schools. Okay. So you just – you went for them and you missed on them. Okay, it's not a guarantee. You're not going to land all those guys because nobody landed all those guys. Okay, that totally changes the complexion because I want you to imagine this. Nick Brahms doesn't retire and you land one of those. Think about how different this offensive line is right now. Okay, so that's one guy getting landed and then one guy's knee surgery going like it was supposed to typically go. These are very, like, small changes. Also, your current offensive coordinator is terrible, okay? You tried to get two other guys. One of them had a deep family matter, and it just crumbled before his eyes, and the other guy had an NCAA investigation. I'm just saying there were a lot of really unfortunate things that happened to the man, and I think that that's what he can sell when I say if he wins out other than Alabama and he gets a couple more recruits, he can sell the fact of look at the unlucky things that have happened, and that's why we're here. 
I don't think the program is as dead as it seems. I think that they've just hit a couple of unlucky things, and I do think that he probably needs to go, but I also don't think that it's the furthest possibility that he could turn it around with a new coordinator on offense and defense. And I think that's a fair way to look at it, and I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, we'll see what happens, and we'll be back. We'll be back next week talking a little bit more just really about all this since we won't have a game to break down. But as always, thank you guys so much for listening, and War Eagle. War Eagle.